0: hey there everyone welcome back to the channel today we're doing a podcast that i have been dying to do for such a long time and i'm finally getting the opportunity to pick this man's brain ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome of wrestlenomics brandon Thurston. brandon welcome to the podcast
1: thank you very much for having me denise you're you're the one of the hardest working people in wrestling media you're everywhere doing everything and uh, it's nice to be with you finally
0: no thank you so much i appreciate you saying that because i have a lot of respect for you and the work that you do uh and i could i honestly meant that when i said that i couldn't wait to pick your brain because you know I kind of mentioned this I don't know if I mentioned this when I gave you the podcast pitch but I basically said you know I'm not great when it comes to numbers and the business side of things when it comes to pro wrestling but damn it do I love hearing about it do I love hearing people like you like uh like John Paul like like Dave Meltzer break this stuff down I love it so getting you on here to talk about WrestleNomics I feel it's going to be great insight for fans to kind of not just learn about uh you know just the wrestling business but the numbers and the metrics and things like that
1: sounds good I, i'm uh I, I would not consider myself a math expert there are often questions that i have to i have to reach out to some people who are like you know they like actually went to school for math a lot of this I've, I've learned as i've gone here but uh yeah it's it's become a, a more important thing and more interesting thing i think as you know as aew has emerged as a, as a in some ways a competing wrestling company
0: Exactly. So let's go ahead and break it down. So I want to start off by kind of giving the people an introduction to you. So like, Brandon, can you break down what you do for WrestleNomics and what WrestleNomics
1: is? So WrestleNomics is just a brand that, you know, it's a mainly it's a Patreon, it's a website podcast, it's a brand of wrestling media things that we focus on the business of of pro wrestling. Um, It was originally created by Chris Harrington way back. Without me ever involved uh, until 2017, when I started to do the podcast with him, uh, Chris has gone on to work for AEW. While we were doing the podcast together, he was actually approached by Tony Khan and uh, helps build the business plan that eventually launched uh, AEW. And he is he is now in- independently uh, he's independently removed from from uh, wrestling. It's only me operating it now, uh, along with other contributors uh, who, who do imp- important work for me uh, also. But we're focusing on the the business of wrestling and. Things like TV ratings, um, ticket sales, media deals, um, and anything that's, that's motivating, that's turning the wheel on the business of wrestling. And in this era, it's more than ever media. Um, by media, I just mean any kind of video, whether that's live TV, whether that's a streaming service, whether that's online media. Um, that has become the biggest piece of wrestling business, at least in the U.S., in Japan and Mexico, the live event is still the biggest piece, um, but, but ticket sales are really important too in the US, but they're, they've become the smaller piece. So that's uh, just a brief introduction on, on, on why wrestling business is, is important.
0: So you guys basically cover all ground, like you mentioned media, which includes video and whatnot, ticket sales, uh, live event stuff, all of that. So that's very interesting because there's a lot of different metrics and numbers and things like that. So um, before we get into all of the nitty gritty details, I I am curious, though, how because you mentioned this was started by Chris Harrington. And at some point you guys were both doing the podcast until he got called up to go to A.W., Um, how did you necessarily get involved in WrestleNomics in the first place? And where does your interest lie in terms of, you know, the analyzing data?
1: Yeah, you want to look a life story first. So I've, I've been involved in wrestling since I was 18. Um, I was an independent wrestler. I don't use the word retire, but I haven't had a match since November 2021. So I've, since I've, since I've been 18, I've been involved in wrestling in, in, to some degree, um, you could say I, I helped run indie shows. I certainly was never the the promoter or anything, but you know in the independence a lot of the the local wrestlers are really deeply involved in running the show itself. So have had done a lot of that and um, and have trained people as well. Um, but around 2014 the, the W network was getting launched and I've always been interested in in the history and, and in the business side of wrestling, but I've always too been interested in the ways that new technology and new forms of media like a streaming service or like cable TV or like television back in the 50s when that was new and the ways that these new forms of media revolutionized people's lives and have often revolutionized the wrestling business. Um, you can look at in the 50s, the the advent of television, um, People, some people were afraid that television was going to kill the wrestling business because people were going to be able to watch it on their TVs. They were never going to go to the shows. It was going to kill it. Um, but it, it changed the wrestling business in a lot of ways and it created a lot of stars um, who could be, to, to some degree, national stars. And then cable television came along, and that you know essentially allowed the WF to kill the territories uh, gradually. Um, and pay-per-view uh, allowed these peak events to emerge uh, to eventually what we know today as these monthly pay-per-views, or PLEs, as W calls them. Um, and the internet changed the way that fans looked at wrestling. They were able to find out you know what was supposedly, reportedly going on backstage and you know, the politics involved in that. And I saw the, the new streaming video, you know, 2014, I think I, I probably had Netflix for the first time, I was hearing about this thing, Hulu, and, you know, the W network, they were going to go all in on and put all the pay per views on the W network. And that was a big, big step to take. And I figured, you know, maybe in a lot of ways, this is going to be the next step of this, you know, television, cable television, internet, that's going to change wrestling in a lot of ways. And I got really interested um, in, in the business side of things uh, because of that and started listening to like W earnings calls and stuff like that. And how many subscribers was, was this service going to be, going to be able to get it was such a black box. It was such a mystery of like, what really is the market for this? Um, and that's where I started to write, um, articles about the, the business of wrestling. I started to, uh, to, to get to know Chris Harrington and, uh, he was already doing this for years. And, um, it turns out we had a lot of common friends and, yeah, you know, we connected, and, uh, yeah, I started writing more. I ended up writing for places like Fightful and Voices of Wrestling and several other places and, uh, and, uh, ended up doing a podcast, never thinking I would be a person who would be talking on a microphone and people would want to hear my thoughts, uh, kind of an introvert, but here I am doing a podcast, like at least twice a week at this point. And, uh, yeah, and that, that's what we've done here. Um, when Chris went away, I sort of relaunched the, the Patreon and, you know, I think, uh, He's—he never thought we'd get like more than 100 subscribers or something, and we've, you know, multiplied that at this point. So things are going well, and it's uh, and and like I said, AEW coming up as as this new company whose future, you know, in in the perception of fans is is sort of you know tenuous. And where is it going to end up? I think that has really motivated a lot of interest in wrestling business as well
0: i think so too i think people especially right now when it comes to i know that it's you know there's a lot of wars on social media about like AEW fans versus wwe fans
1: especially so, in, my, in my ratings uh, tweets yes
0: yes i can imagine i was gonna say when it comes to your ratings tweets like people use that and they weaponize it right like they're and it's part of it because at the end of the day numbers don't lie numbers are facts and so yeah people are going to use that for data to you know claim or defend whatever side that they're trying to defend right so it is one of those things where I feel like now like these numbers have become more of a interest to people that maybe would not have been interested uh before so I guess that leads me into my first question about this is I you know I follow you on Twitter I see all of the charts and graphics that you put out each and every single day each and every single week all of that so I want to start off by asking you on a weekly basis. What do you look for when you're looking at uh, ratings? When you're looking at all of that, what is the the process every week of things and data that you're looking for?
1: I mean, it's it's really hard, I guess, to to get something meaningful out of data. I guess, like some some of the things that I've learned from looking at data for a long time is that you know, I guess, sort of related to how people will react to ratings on, on social media. Everyone wants to look at the latest bit of information and apply it to their to their narrative that they're already sort of believing in. Um, every new piece of information reinforces, can reinforce what you already believe uh, if you allow it to. So a, a lot of what I do is trying to figure out w- what is meaningful and how to read this stuff, like quarter hours, for example, which if people don't know. Quarter hours is, you take, say, a two-hour show, like... Dynamite or like SmackDown, and and it's broken down to fifteen-minute segments, and we see you know what the viewership was for each fifteen-minute segment. If it went up, went down, and all that, and that's been kind of a challenge to figure out when is it actually meaningful, when is it when is it actually reflective of what was on screen. You know, we saw the viewership change. Was that because there were two ad breaks in it? Did the viewership go down because there were two ad breaks? Did it did it increase because every other quarter hour had, you know, a couple – you know, had one or two ad breaks, and this one just happened to have no ad breaks? Um, does the quarter hour at the top of the second hour often increase? You know, the answer to all these questions is yes. Um, so trying to filter that stuff out, filter that noise out, and really find, you know, what the signal is. And in, in the case of four hours, I've created a bunch of um, – if you you use Excel, I've created a bunch of conditional formatting rules that will light up a box if it's, if it meets all these conditions, and then maybe it it really is reflective of the content that was on the screen during that time. So it's, you know, just trying to make sense of things and, you know, ask the right questions and figure out when something truly is meaningful. It's usually not one week, one week of ratings that uh, mean, you know, SmackDown's doing really well or Raw or Dynamite are doing really well. I try not to get too wrapped up in one week's ratings. Um, but look at, you know, things that are happening over the course of a month, over the course of a quarter, and year over year, things like that.
0: So when you get like, for example, let's just say AEW Dynamite this week. So some of the things that you mentioned that you look at are the quarter ratings. You look at, you know, what dipped, what went up, things like that. And do you also like compare that week to, you know, where we were at the same time last year? Do you like to compare it to, uh, to last year or do you like to compare it more so like in the month? Like what is a, the most telling comparison?
1: I guess the, the bigger piece of time is always going to be more meaningful. Um, like right now, I think all the W shows are up year over year. By quarter, Raw is starting, starting to wane a bit. Um, but NXT is, is up in this quarter We're, we're talking right now in Q3, uh, it is up 5% and SmackDown is up 8%. Um, I mean the, the bigger piece of, of time that you can look at the better. And there is a lot of seasonality to, let's say raw is is a strong case where there's really pronounced seasonality where raw is going to go against Monday night football, uh, four months out of the year. So you don't want to look at say what raw was doing in September and compare it to August and look at it month to month, but look at it year over year. You know, this is how raw did uh, in this time versus how it did against the, the football season last year, for example. Um, So you want to look at, look at things like that. And it is true that like, if you look over, look at TV overall, and uh, I've scraped a website called showbiz daily, which is recently stopped reporting ratings, which is a big, a big deal in my world. Um, But, I've gotten all of their data and you can see that people do watch television less in the summer. So things like that, you know, in the summer television overall just may be down. And then e- an, an even bigger overarching trend is that, you know, cord cutting is happening and there's plenty of other things to do. There's plenty of other stuff on your phone to do and a lot of uh, other entertainment options. So there's just less and less traditional TV watching happening uh, over time that is basically a headwind that all these shows are walking into so that, you know, you kind of expect, you know, if all other things are equal, you kind of already expect viewership in this year to be down a few percent versus last year.
0: So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you have to correlate as to what was happening last year. And then you got to consider all of these outside factors, like you mentioned, uh, going up against Monday Night Football and things like that. So, Brandon, let me ask you, because one of the arguments that I had seen sporadically every now and then in wrestling uh, Twitter is I see people arguing about ratings when it comes to whether or not they matter. Now, personally, I've always been on the side of, yes, of course, they have to matter. But I've seen people say "Eh, ratings don't matter matter. Uh, where do you land on this? And why do you think that there are some people that say that ratings don't matter?
1: I think ratings can be misleading is is the more intelligent way to, to maybe to say what they're trying to say. Um, in in the case of today's TV, where court cutting is happening, where there's going to be in this year, you know, as, we, as we speak here, there's probably 70 million cable subscribers in the US. Um, a year ago, there might have been 75 million. And you know, at its peak, I think it had like 100 million homes that had cable in the United States, and it's going to be less and less over time. I don't know where it's going to stop, but you know, the, the reach that these networks are able to, to gather uh, is lower and lower over time. So it is it can be misleading to look at a chart. I, c- I can draw a chart of uh, the entire history of raw ratings, and you know, it's it's at its peak in about the year 2000, and it's been basically down to the right, um, almost completely consistently over that time this past year has been a bit different but you it it would look like this disastrous fall off um over the course of whatever it's been 30 years right something like that yeah 30 years since since raw's been on the air um and you can dismiss that and say i mean look w is doing well they're having the best financial uh business of, of of their entire history so how can these ratings, if you look at over the long course of history, these ratings that look like they're completely down since the year 2000, how can that be reflective of reality? And it's, it's just the case that even though that viewership has declined, Raw is still one of the most watched TV shows um, on cable. And it's often the most watched TV show on cable on Mondays, uh, at least in 1849. Um, so it's, they still matter tremendously. And the reason why WB is in the best financial shape of its entire history Is because they have Raw and SmackDown that are really highly viewed programs among all of the other programs that are still around. It's really highly viewed and networks pay a lot of money for uh, programs that are highly viewed and programs that that air live.
0: So let's talk about networks. So you mentioned kind of like paying uh, a lot of money for programs that are highly viewed. And of course, live, especially when it comes to live sports. And, you know, I know some people are going to argue whether or not they consider pro wrestling a sport. That's another subject for another time. But when it comes to live sports, like I know that's something that definitely networks and streaming platforms definitely look for. But I'm curious on a week to week basis. What would you say ne- uh, network executives look for? So, for example, if I invested all this money in, you know, I'm Fox and I invested all this money in getting SmackDown uh, as part of my, you know, underneath my umbrella, what am I looking for as a network executive to say, oh, these are good numbers, these are bad numbers or, or what?
1: Mainly, I, w- I would look at the rank um, and uh, a website like Showbiz Daily or what we have now is Spoiler TV. They, they will post an entire Um, an entire table looking at this is what all the programs on cable did for example Um, or if in the case of smackdown everything on broadcast in primetime here's what it did and smackdown is often the most watched show in the demo and among viewers 18 to 49 whose whose ad eyeballs are more more valuable um so they're looking for programs that are are still the most highly viewed programs even though you can look at viewership years back and see how much higher viewership in general was years ago, whether it's wrestling or something else. Um, But the way that networks make money, um, especially cable networks, especially the more, more well-known cable networks, um, they make money, not only through the ads that they obviously air during the programming, but they get uh, subscriber fees. So if you're a cable subscriber or a satellite subscriber, you're paying, <clears throat> Probably a lot of money for your your cable or satellite bill every year, and that's going to your carrier, who are then paying for the right to have ESPN, USA Network, even Fox uh, on their on their system. They're paying for that right, so the networks are making money from ads, and they're getting paid by the DirecTVs of the world and Comcast and Charter and things like that, so they're getting money from subscription fees as well as advertisement. So live is really important towards justifying um, the subscriber fees. So in the case of, let's say, NFL, which is by far the most popular programming uh, in the U.S., there'll be written agreements that say, okay, we have to have X number of, you know, a minimum X number of NFL hours or live sports hours uh, that are part of this deal to carry, you know, all the Disney networks, let's say, that include ESPN. And if you don't meet that, we have to go back and renegotiate our contract. So Wrestling, definitely Raw. Raw is is, uh, driving something like almost $2, probably, per subscriber for the USA Network. And Raw is by far the most watched show on on the entire USA Network. And people watch it live in the same day. Now, wrestling, some people will watch it on DVR. Um, You can debate about, you know, uh, know, in a definition, whether it's actually a sport, but people watch it live in the same day. So that means it's really helping... NBC Universal, which owns the USA Network, it's helping NBCU justify the $2 or so that, that they charge the carriers per subscriber to carry the USA Network um, because the USA Network offers this really popular program called RAW. Um, so what are they looking for? They're looking for the most popular shows that people will still watch live or same day. And as time has gone on, uh, scripted programming, just traditional stuff that, You know, we watch on Netflix and Hulu and and Max and whatever. Um, Obviously, people are watching that less so on traditional TV anymore and are watching it more so on streaming networks. So you're not seeing that live and same-day viewership um, on networks like you do see it still for for Raw and SmackDown and Dynamite and and all the rest.
0: Matt, okay, so that's super interesting. Okay, so I want to get into then, all right, so you were kind of talking about how Uh, you know, we were talking about the rankings and, you know, what network executives look for. So some of the things that I want to touch on that you mentioned was looking more so at the rankings. So would you say that's more important than looking at the number as a whole? So for example, you mentioned how, you know, raw was that, you know, such a high rating and then it just like went down, but that was sort of misleading because WWE's business is still doing good. So when I'm looking at it on a weekly basis, what number is more important? The, overall total number of views or should I be looking more so at their rankings in terms of cable and where they land on compared to other shows?
1: I, I would say to an average reader, the the ranking is going to give you a much more intuitive read of what's happening versus the number of viewers. Um, if you have no context to know, you know, what, what does a million viewers mean to, you know, let's say Dynamite or what, what does two million viewers mean to Raw? Um, if you don't have the context to to know what that means relative to everything else that's on, on television, um, it, it won't make a lot of sense to you. But if you see a chart where, you know, Raw is on the top and and everything else is below it, then it makes it clear that Raw is the most watched show on cable in the demo. And it's a really valuable show to the USA Network because of it. Um, you still need enough enough viewers to to make all those businesses work um, at a certain point if cable continues to descend and descend and descend and eventually there's v- virtually no subscribers and no viewers left well that, that business will be uh, not very uh, valuable anymore but I think um, as time goes on I, I'm of the belief that whether it's through traditional TV or whether it's through some other means the most popular programs whatever they are will continue to be exceptionally valuable relative to everything else. And if wrestling continues to be among that group, then wrestling will continue to have a lot of value.
0: The other thing that you mentioned was the advertisers caring more so about the, having the eyeballs of the 18 to 49 age group. Uh, Can you explain that to people? Why exactly is it that they want this specific age demo?
1: Uh, because in in 2019, Tony Khan sat us down and said, we have to say this, and he he paid us to do it. Um, No. Um, So 18 to 49, um, and this is not something that's unique to wrestling at all. Um, All the ads that you see while you watch any TV show, all those ads are sold not against the number of total viewers who are watching, but are sold against some ad demo. So that could be 18 to 49 uh, adults. could be people 25 to 54. could be people 50-plus. Um, probably, I don't don't know know how much advertising is sold for kids shows these days, but probably when I, when I was a kid growing up watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Ninja Turtles and they were advertising toys and stuff, I'm, I'm sure that was sold against a very young demo. Um, so the theory is that people who are under 50, um, they, they have not become super brand loyal yet. They are still. Malleable, they can still be talked into trying some new brand. And people over 50 are much harder to convince to try something some some new brand. They've lived 50 years of life; they know which brands are right for them. Um, And people under 18 just don't have that much disposable income yet, because they're not adults with jobs yet. And people over the over the age of 18 or over the age of of 25, just they have disposable income. So that's the theory there. And there's different, you know, you can think about different products. When you see vitamins advertised during the news or whatever, that's probably a P50 plus ad demo but when you see most other I don't know, consumer products household items and things like that um that's probably being sold against a broad 18 to 49 or 25 to 54 or something like that
0: man okay see i always i always thought that that was interesting because i'm looking at that and i'm going i feel like people that are older are richer because you know they've you know right they, and they are they this are like <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, they're richer. So I figured, oh, they would probably be the ones to spend more money. So why are you trying to get this like broke 20 year old that's trying to make Mm -hmm. it through college? Uh, You know, so I was always interested in that. And I never realized that it was due to the possibility of brand loyalty.
1: That's, that's, I mean, I'm not an advertising expert, but that's what I've, that's what I've come to understand. And And it makes, makes some sense when you think about it that way
0: yeah it definitely does i I get it i get it so now i do want to talk because this was something you also mentioned and you were talking a little bit about the decline of cable and we all know there's cord cutting going around i mean i can sit here and tell you i'm at least subscribed to like 10 different streaming platforms i think at this point i have all of them or at least tried all of them so the point is that street that streaming it's the thing right now it's the thing to do um honestly the only reason i have cable that i pay for cable um it's two things one my husband pays for it because of i don't know something about sports i don't know i don't know right. the details of that's that. the only
1: reason to sports and news
0: yes and then i pay for it for my grandparents at their house why because they don't know how to use streaming platforms so right. i still have to pay for their cable uh and because they know how to you know flip the channel so with that being said how would you say that streaming platforms have impacted cable and what is your prediction in terms of you know in 20 years from now or even sooner do you think that cable's still going to be a thing
1: It's uh, if I knew that the answer to that question, I I probably wouldn't be hosting a wrestling podcast. Um, I think, I think it's really hard to to predict what's going what's going to happen here. Um, yeah, as, as we're recording today, there is a dispute that's ongoing between Charter, which is a major cable carrier. They cable they carry cable for like 15 million households, which is again, there's probably 70 million or so, so 15 out of 70. Um, so they're a major cable carrier. They're in a dispute with Disney which isn't just the Disney channel, but it's ABC. It's all the ESPN channels. And ESPN is you know, basically the most powerful cable network uh, that there is. So they're in a, a dispute about um, how much charter is going to pay to keep those networks on, on, the, on the system. They're currently not on the system because they haven't come to an agreement. Um, and people think that, that this, this one may be different because there, there's been a number of disputes that people have probably heard of for, for a short time, for like a week or two, you know, the, the, the networks will be off the system. Customers will get mad. They'll call their local, you know, will call their system and, and complain. And eventually, you know, the carrier will come to an agreement with the network. Um, but there's discussion now uh, about maybe, maybe Charter just wants to withdraw from from the cable TV business. Maybe they don't want to be in, in it as much because a lot of these cable systems they offer, you know, the, their major services are not just cable TV, but also internet. And internet is a much more profitable business for them. And, you know, the internet is not in decline. People are, for the foreseeable future, are going to want internet in their homes as opposed to cable TV, which is obviously in decline. Um, so it, it could, if, if there are more disputes like this and um, w- one of the big differences that people have talked about with this story in particular is that when you, when you call Charter and you say, I want to cancel, they say, okay, here, sign up for Fubo, which is a, what they call a virtual MVPD, which uh, Hulu Live TV and Sling and Fubo are, are these ways to subscribe to cable essentially through the internet without actually using the traditional cable. Um, so they're, they're encouraging people to, to leave the system apparently. So maybe this is a sign that they wanna get out of the, the cable TV business. And if that happens, and if there's more ca- carriers uh, around the country that withdraw to some degree from the cable TV business, um, that's going to may- maybe t- take some of that money away from the networks, the subscriber fees, um, and those subscriber fees are used to pay huge write fees to, to major uh, highly watched sports programs or live programming like, like w So we've, we've been in this system for many, many years where live sports fees have just increased and increased and increased. Um, I've seen a lot of charts where it's just, it's, a, it's an incredible growth. And people have talked for a long time about, you know, th- this is going to be the year. Where the sports rights bubble is, is going to burst, and it never has. Um, we may be on the precipice of, of at least a plateauing of that value. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I think there will still still there will always be a market for for live programming. Sports aren't going to become less popular. Sports are I don't sports are not becoming less popular. Um, if anything, sports are becoming more popular, and people are finding a way to watch the NFL whether they have cable or not. Um, So I think there will always be demand for that. And where there's demand, there will be somebody serving it. Um, It's just going to be different how you pay for it, I think, where we may not have the what they call the cable bundle, where you just pay whatever it is, $100, $150 a month, and get all your channels. But it's going to be a lot less, for for the businesses, it's going to be a lot less reliable, guaranteed, uh, recurring subscription model, where you're going to have a lot of... What people call churn, where you know you, you cancel one service because I'm not going to need it for these months. I'm going to sign up for this service because I'm going to need it instead. So, and that's going to fall down to the consumer, where we're going to end up paying more for this because we're not going to have maybe uh, you know older people who are not watching sports, but they're subsidizing essentially um, the expense of having access to ESPN and things like that.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the thing about, you know, sports and all of that. Like, I know my husband will, like, pay whatever it is just so that he can make sure to watch all his games. And he's like, I'm going to find a way. And I know that now they're doing the whole thing with YouTube and YouTube was charging too much money. So he was trying to figure out all these different ways to try to find a cheaper version or a cheaper alternative. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so much, you know. And there's just so much that goes into that. But, of course, because we are specifically focusing on pro wrestling, I do want to go ahead and kind of take a look at um, some of the trends for our favorite pro wrestling shows so i want to start over on the um the uh, wwe side of things so talking raw smackdown and nxt what would you say are some of the trends that you have noticed in viewership you know in the last recent couple of years Uh, anything that has surprised you or any sort of thing that you notice on a week-to-week basis when it comes to the wwe side of things
1: well, W has a very positive story to tell about their ratings, which is has not been the case at any point in in the time that I've been following this stuff, which is which is only since let's say I've been covering this since like 2015 or so. Um, and in in all that time, year over year, almost without exception, the ratings for let's say Raw, because Raw is a really is a really um, clean case where it's been on the same network in the same time slot for all those years, and it's been down a little bit, sometimes a lot, year over year. And that's not been the case this year. In, in total viewership, they've actually been up a few percent uh, year over year. Uh, but if you look at the younger demos, the younger audience, because um, believe it or not, about half the audience, in AEW's case, and, and more than half the audience in W's case, is over the age of 50, which like intuitively makes no sense. But, but that's what the numbers say. Um, but their, their viewership has increased across the board from, from Raw to SmackDown. Um, to NXT. Um, and the content has gotten more popular. And we see that reflected in a number of other areas, including ticket sales. So they're, they're doing really well um, in a year where it's, it's pretty important for them to do well because they have TV rights deals that uh, are being renegotiated right now. So they're, they're doing better than they were um, in years, really.
0: Do you have any predictions for that? I know it's so hard to say because it's not like any of us predicted, for example, WWE and UFC to do this merger. So it's hard to predict stuff like that. But do you have any predictions when it comes to their media rights and what they might end up doing at the end of the year?
1: So, so RAW they'll both expire. Raw and SmackDown will both expire September 2024. So about a year from now, um, the the end of September, a year from now. Um, NXT will actually, I believe, is going to expire at the end of this month unless there's already some sort of extension to make it align with the other two. Um, but obviously Raw and SmackDown are the bigger shows and they're way more valuable than NXT. Um, so I, I think Raw is going to stay with NBC Universal, which is USA Network. Nothing will change about that. I think they'll get you know, a decent increase in value for, for Raw. Um, I would say 1.5X. So currently Raw is getting $165 million. Um, so I don't, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but they'll get it. They'll get a strong increase, a 50% increase in that value. Um, and because of things like that, WWE will be even more uh, profitable and will have even, will, will continue to break their financial records. Um, SmackDown is the great unknown, though. Um, the vibe, the, the prevailing wisdom is that SmackDown is not going to stay on Fox um, after next year. So the, the possibilities are Amazon Prime Video and maybe making a deal with Disney to go on FX. Um FX is one of the networks that uh Fox gave sold sold to Disney uh several years ago. So the idea of having Smackdown on a streaming network um it would have a pretty huge drop off in viewership. Um because if you look at I was just looking at today in fact at, at the viewership of NFL on Thursday nights versus what uh that viewership was the year prior and it's complicated because the year prior was on Fox on an NFL network and it was complicated, but, um, <clears throat> certainly compared to Fox, you know, Amazon prime was not delivering the viewership for those games that Fox was. So SmackDown, at least, at least in the next two years, I mean, the earliest this could possibly happen is October, 2024, but that sounds pretty early to put SmackDown exclusively on a streaming platform where again, I think it would, it's viewership would probably fall in half. And it's really important if you're WWE to have a huge, huge reach platform. Um, Fox is a really strong reach platform, right? It's in more more homes than any cable network is in. Cable is in about seventy million homes. Well, broadcast TVs in about eighty million, something like that. So it allows the widest, the widest umbrella of people to possibly watch it. Um, Amazon Prime lots and lots of people do have Amazon Prime because you know they, w- they want to get the shipping discount on Amazon. So lots and lots of people are subscribing to it. Um, nonetheless, though, if you look at the NFL ratings on Thursday night, well, it, it, didn't, uh, it, it didn't equal what Fox was doing, right? So I think it's, it's early to, to put SmackDown on a streaming platform, um, unless the money is huge or unless they're able to make some deal with a traditional network so that, at least in the early years of such a deal, they could simulcast this and, and continue to stay on a cable network as well as streaming or something, but but that sounds complicated and that sounds like Amazon making a deal with somebody who who mutually views one another as a competitor. So I, I don't know if for the NFL, you know, everybody will bend over backwards. I don't know if they'll bend over so far backwards for WWE. My guess, my guess would be staying would be going to Disney. I guess um, because the merger is is about to get done and UFC is deeply involved with Disney through ESPN. And maybe that makes sense, and it'd be nice to have a relationship with Disney when your Peacock rights come up, and then maybe you can have a strong bidder in Disney through ESPN Plus to bid on the PLE and library rights. So that would be my guess is is Disney, but I, with. No confidence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it's so crazy to even think that we're even sitting here having this conversation about, you know, Disney potentially, be, you know, being the place to go. It, it's it's wild. So um, sticking to the WB side, because there's still another thing that I wanted to ask you about was NXT. NXT's ratings have surprisingly really gone up. And that was, I don't, you know, I guess you can say it's because you've been seeing main roster talent up there. But for you as a person who, you know, focuses on these numbers, were you surprised by this?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've, they've done a good job in terms of getting, like you said, main roster people up there, and it's popped some ratings. And I mean, it, it, it sounds like something people would say is an ironic joke, you know, six months ago, but Dominic Mysterio has, has seemed to really help their ratings. And then there's other people who have come up as well, not just Dom, Dominic. Uh, they've had Rey Mysterio and Rhea Ripley up there, and uh, other people I'm, I'm forgetting, but it, the, the, the ratings for NXT especially have improved um, now in comparison to Raw and SmackDown but we don't even know what what NXT is worth in terms of its average annual value the average the the average amount of money per year that it's getting i say average annual value because as as the years go on the contracts dictate that they get paid a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more no matter what the rating is you know, this will blow people's minds when they hear it for the first time is that yes the ratings matter <laughs> but they matter as they're calculated let's say every 5 years or so um, but NXT is if I were to guess is being paid, let's make a wide range and they're probably being paid somewhere between 10 and $50 million a year, 10 and, and five, zero $50 million a year versus SmackDown is getting 205 and raw. The longer program remember is getting 265. So it's getting a fraction, some fraction of, of what the other programs get, but the ratings have improved and um, maybe you know, I could see SmackDown and or I could see NXT ending up on Peacock, I guess that, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be as hard to justify as SmackDown on, on an exclusive streaming platform because NXT is is not not one of the two flagships, um, and maybe maybe that's something that, that Peacock would see as as valuable. Um, but yeah, what was the question. Do you, they, I think they've they've done a really good job. Now, is it going to sustain? Are they going to do this after the after the the deal is done for NXT, whatever it is, wherever it is? Are they going to continue to sustain ratings like this, and are they going to continue to maybe have to put main roster people up there, Uh, we'll see.
0: So now I want to go ahead and hop on over to the AEW side of things because AEW has been, you know, an interesting conversation in the sense that obviously they've had Dynamite, right? And people are always looking and saying like, oh, did it pass over a million today? Nope, it didn't. did it, Is it under a million today? Or whatever. That's usually the conversation I feel around Dynamite. Um, and then they added Rampage and Rampage kind of started off very nicely, but slowly but surely. It's kind of taken a dip uh, in terms of a lack of interest from people to watch Rampage and then we had the newest edition of collision now collision there was a lot of people saying oh a wrestling show on a saturday it's just not gonna work it's not gonna work it's not gonna work and they've had some great weeks but unfortunately of this past saturday they had their lowest rating ever of course they were going up against payback uh, they were going up against college football uh so they did have a lot of competition but for you um what would you say are some of the trends that you've been seeing in regards to the aew side of things on their umbrella of shows?
1: So in, in A.W.'s case, they have just one TV partner, right, which is Warner Brothers Discovery, um, which is the, these two companies that merged a couple of years ago. Um, and Dynamite continues to be highly ranked. Um, it's doing quite well, despite not making a, making it to a million viewers just about any week. And I don't know when, when the last time they hit a million viewers was. Um, but they're doing quite well. They're, they're often among the most watched shows on cable on Wednesday. Um, Rampage, as you said, started out strong and has really fallen off. Um, And Collision, so far, has has done fairly well. Um, This past Saturday, as you said, had its lowest rating ever. It's going to be facing now college football every single week for the rest of the year. It's going to probably be facing some baseball playoffs. It's going to be facing uh, WPLEs once a month. So it's going to be tough. And there's no more CM Punk here, as CM Punk has been terminated. And uh, he was definitely AEW's biggest draw of of any kind when it came to TV or ticket sales or merchandise. He was AEW's biggest draw, and that's going to hurt them going forward. Um, is it going to prevent AEW from getting a strong renewal of its TV deal? Their TV deal is is about a year away from expiring, or a year and three months away from expiring as well. So they're they're in a in a really crucial time as well. And I'm sure the network is watching closely what this show Collision is able to, you know, what it normalizes at. Um, It's going to do lower in in the fall and in in Q4 uh, than it did uh, at the beginning. Just the question is how much lower. Um, I think as long as it ranks, as long as it's able to rank in the top 10 or so quite often, it'll contribute a strong amount of value towards a renewal. Um, Has it been ranking in
0: a top 10 the last couple of months?
1: I can look. I think it has.
0: Because I'm um, not sure. I, I, I wasn't sure also because I know I didn't check the ranking for that uh, this week when they got their lowest rating. So I'm looking. I'm like, okay, in their lowest rating, did they at least still make it in the top 10?
1: <laughs> so this past Saturday where they did their lowest rating ever, they were uh, – th- now this is ranking by the demo. It was the 18th most watched uh, cable program in, in the demo. Uh, it was 10 the week before that. It was 13 the week before that. It was 11 the week before that. It was 10. It was two the week before that on July 29th. Uh, it was two the week before that. Um, and there's probably going to be a lot of stuff in, in these fall months that's going to push it down. Um, but in, in the months where there's lighter sports competition, it'll, it'll, the, the way will be clearer uh, for them to rank more highly. Um, but yeah, I, I think so in, in terms of value, we, you know, as, as we said, Raw is 265, that's millions per year, 205 for SmackDown somewhere between the vast range of, I don't know, 10, 50 for, for NXT. Um, Dynamite and Rampage together are about 45 per year. And I think with collision, they've gotten a raise. Tony Khan has said that they've, he hasn't said how much, but he said, yes, they're paying us more for it. Um, I I think it's somewhere around 70 now total for all three programs. Um, And they're, they're hoping uh, as, as CM Punk said, uh, he said one bill, Phil. They're hoping for something that over the course of five years will come out to a billion dollars. So they're they're hoping for something probably well over two hundred million dollars, and that may involve streaming that that they have no presence on. Um, may involve a lot of content going to to Max, whether that's the pay per views, the library, who knows what. Um, so if they're able to, and I have a lot of confidence that Dynamite will continue to be strong. Um, but there are real questions around collision and i guess if i'm the network like i with with punk being gone and with the sports competition um making things uncertain i almost uh, maybe i want to wait until early next year to really see what the ratings are at that time to assess the value and before i get locked into a four year five year agreement uh, but
0: yeah. That's what I was curious about in terms of, because clearly the network knows what's going on. They know all of this. And I was wondering if they would give any sort of leeway considering the competition that's out there. And I mean, obviously I don't know, but that's that's what I'm curious about. If they're going to wait and see until we're out of this, you know, very, very difficult period with a lot of obstacles and kind of wait and see, like you said, what the numbers look like afterwards and whether or not it's worth it. Because at this point, like you're wondering if there's a possibility like, can Collision be canceled? Is that a possibility?
1: Um, It would have to be doing a lot worse than the replacement programming. And what, what would that be? That would be like reruns of movies. Um, Big Bang Theory famously does ver- reruns of the Big Bang Theory on TBS are unbelievably some of the most watched cable telecasts of the week. It's It's mind-blowing that people are... Despite you can, I don't know which streaming service it's on, but I'm sure it's on a streaming service. You can watch Big Bang Theory all day, any episode you want. But whatever random episode is airing at 7:30 uh, on Wednesday night before uh, Dynamite comes on is, is got like a, a demo that's like comparable to Dynamite. Um, but I have looked, I've, I've looked at like on Saturday night at eight on TNT. You know w- what have the ratings been? And I think you know they have been. So I can only I don't see everything, um, but, but there are there are websites that I've scraped some rerun data from. And it's like in the low teens, if they can stay over the low teens. Now this past one, am I say teens, what am I talking about? P18 to 49 rating. They just did a 0.11 rating, which is their lowest ever um, against a lot of competition, against college football, against WB. Um, so it's got to be at least in the teens, I would think, um, because you could rerun a, a movie that probably doesn't cost you very much to, to just stick in that time slot again because they're going to air whatever it is, Star Wars or whatever the movies are. They air all the, all the time on, on TNT and TBS. Um, rerun programming is, is, is very profitable. Um, so the ratings for, for a program that they're going to pay a lot more for has to be substantially higher than that. So I would say it's got to be over the low teens at least.
0: Oh man, that's that's going to be interesting. I'm curious to see how the how, you know, CM Punk's presence gone from Collision is going to impact that because obviously there were a lot of reports out there that part of the reason why this show was put forth was because of CM Punk. So, um uh, I guess last but not least, I do also want to ask you uh in terms of the AEW trends, like what would you say is like their strongest demo? Uh you mentioned with WWE you got a lot of over 50. What are you seeing with AEW? Like who are the AEW viewers
1: like in comparison to to WWE they're a little younger and a little more male that those are the the biggest differences I would say you know in 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 between the normal WWE audience the normal WWE audience is like a little more than a third women and so and 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 you know conversely they're a a little more little less than two-thirds male um and AEW will often be about one-third women and about two-thirds men. Um, and the, the age, so the way that's measured with Nielsen ratings is median age for some reason. I don't know why they use median, but they use median age. And the median age of, of Dynamite is about 50 these days. So, so that means half the viewership, put all the people who watch Dynamite, half of them will be over 50. Um, it's even older. Now W now programs have gotten younger in this last year or so where, where viewership has gotten uh, bigger, and apparently more younger viewers have have tuned in more. Um, but yeah, there was a, p- a point, and, and NXT has gotten younger, but there was a point where, where NXT's median viewer was like 60 years old, which is, again, it's just, it's hard to imagine. I, you know, I almost question the data that, like, how can half the people who watch NXT be older than 60 a couple of years ago? But that's, that's what we were getting from Nielsen. Um, so yeah. Yeah, AEW's a little bit more male, a little younger.
0: Wow, I'm like blown away here because I'm sitting here and I'm like looking at it because obviously, you know, really the only interactions that we get with fans are on social media. And everyone that I feel that I talk to on social media feels like around my age or something, you know. And so it is a little bit hard to, uh, I guess, try to like think about it like, oh, shit, like there's actually this older, uh, you know, demographic that is, you know, watching these programs. So it is, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and an remember, interesting like That's
1: that, that, that skewed by the medium that, right. that we're measuring here, which is traditional TV, and I, I think the number, if you just say TV in general, it's like fifty-five to sixty to begin with. So being under fifty-five means you're you're one of the younger shows on TV. You know, <laughs> so if you know if it was the good old days and like everybody just watched traditional TV and that was their main form of media consumption, it would be much lower um, years ago. I think I I saw a 2008 raw set of data once and it was like 30, it was in the 30s was the median age, just some 15 years ago or so. So just as time has gone on, the median age of people who use TV has just gotten older and older. If we could survey people somehow in some more general way, you know, it, it would be much younger.
0: And I actually do have a couple more questions for you that I uh, forgot I wanted to ask you. And this is on the pay-per-view side of things. And so we know that on the WWE side right now, I feel like every month that they have a pay-per-view, we're like, we broke this record, that record. I'm like, at this point, I lost track of what records you guys are breaking. Because it feels like when it comes to ticket sales, when it comes to just like overall gate revenue, merchandise revenue, it feels like they're constantly breaking records. And then over on the AEW side of things, we just came off of All In, which you know sold 81,035 tickets. And uh, Tony was talking about those buys being nearing uh, 200,000. And then All Out, I think he said, was like at 100,000. So just looking at the business metrics when it comes to premium live events and pay-per-views for both sides of this, what has been your major takeaway from both the WWE side of things and the AEW side of things?
1: Well, WWE decided to to cannibalize their own pay-per-view business all those years ago in 2014, um, and was the network a good decision? So, like, I guess you asked the question: Did they make more? Did they profit more? That's the key question. Did they profit more on the network versus what they would have done on pay-per-view? Um, and the short answer, in my opinion, is it's pretty close. Um, until they licensed all this to, to NBC Universal, who paid them in excess of what they were making on the network direct to consumer, right? So the move for them was to to license this, um, and. And I would argue that there is a really strong reach downstream effect of they multiplied the audience for pay-per-views. Right, Um, pre-network, you had maybe 200,000 homes worldwide (laughs) buying some of these pay-per-views, and once you have, you know, they had at their peak they had a 1.3 million domestically on the direct-to-consumer network and about 2 million worldwide, Um, and now it's a secret what, what whatever you know the number of viewers are there who are watching on on peacock but we know peacock has something in the order of 22 million subscribers in the u.s so it's a way bigger audience and that has helped their business because it's just it's just increased the audience for these most coveted events um but they're you know they're so they're making good money licensing it that that's the best move for them it's it would be it's a great unknown to to think about like what if they put the genie back in the bottle and, you know, let's, let's imagine, you know, they make a deal with ESPN plus in the next round and they start doing what UFC is doing on ESPN plus and charging like what AEW currently does, you know, charging, uh, an upcharge of 50 or $60 for these would, would that has popularity or has the fan changed in some way that that would be, um, the better way to do business. I think it's, it's enough of a risk and the the answer is unclear enough that I think it's, it's too big of a risk to, to take. Um, they're doing well with their premium live events. They're making $200 million a year. So, almost the same as what they're making from SmackDown just for having 12 events in the library uh, and, all, and all the other content that goes with that um, on Peacock. So, and, and we'll see what happens with, um, with AEW. They're doing, you know, around 130 for the typical, 140 for the typical um, pay per view, you know, according to, to Tony's comments. In the, uh, he, he rarely, he has been using numbers, right? He said over a hundred, uh, at the press conference the other day. Um, yeah, he, he, he w- usually won't say numbers, but, uh, he'll say, oh, it's better than this one. And you have to like, kind of deduce what he means there. Um, and, and if you're taking his word for it, then a lot of these for other than before all in, we're doing around 130, 140, a uh, thousand buys. So that's pretty good. I mean, he makes the comparison, and it's, I think it's a valid one. I mean, if you look at what WCW was doing at the very end, it was doing around 100,000 buys for some of their pay-per-views near the end. So they're, they're doing better than what WCW was doing uh, at times. So I, I think what's probably going to happen, though, is, you know, as we've seen, they're doing more and more pay-per-views. They're going to do Wrestle Dream in October. Um, if you add in the Ring of Honor pay-per-views, I was trying to go back in time. So, like, what was the last month? That didn't have a ring of honor, didn't have an, a ring of honor or an AW pay per view on it in it. In it. Um, and I think it's like maybe February or January of this year. So I think they're they're trying to just create a at least a once a month pay per view event that they can eventually bundle together and perhaps license to Max um, for a lot more money than they're able to make direct to consumer through selling it on pay per view, and it would give it a bigger audience that I think would have a strong value as well. So. I think that could be you know, part of the next deal that they make with WBD. They could give them the library. Obviously, it's, it's a much smaller library than W has, but it's a library, and it's going to continue to grow. Um, and maybe they can give those events to them as well that will, um, that will help them uh, not only make money, but uh, expose that content to everybody. And, and as we've seen, uh, Max wants to do live sports, which they're going to start uh, in October, I think, with baseball.
0: Okay, so baseball is going to be like the first Sorry. test of them doing like live stream live streaming sports, right? I think so. Wow, that's nuts because that's true. Like right now, especially if we're getting monthly pay-per-views, it's hard to be spending 50 bucks every month on a pay-per-view. And like with WWE, if they were to somehow go back to the model of spending, you know, 30, 50 bucks per pay-per-view, I mean, I would be skipping so many shows because it's just too much money to – to commit to. And I think now they've kind of gotten the viewers used to, if you're paying, you know, $5.99 or $9.99 for the Peacock, then that just feels like I wouldn't want to pay much more than that.
1: Right. It's, it would be a big risk to go from, you know, it was one thing when it was just $9.99 a month, but to go from Peacock is now is, is $1 more than it was uh, a month ago, I think, but it's now five ninety nine dollars for the ads here. Um, but yeah, to, to go and ask people to pay 10 times more for, for that product. In a way you are getting and and you're getting other content with that $6, right? You're getting the office and whatever else is on Peacock.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I just feel like it would be too crazy. But um, Brandon, I want to thank you so much just for all of the incredible insight that you have provided here. Uh, I feel like I'm coming out of this just like with a whole new perspective. And I hope everybody here watching uh, also gained some really great insight when it comes to the business side of pro wrestling. Brandon, for those that are interested in learning more, or just keeping up with weekly numbers and trends and getting more, uh, you know, analytical data from you, where can people uh, check out your Stuff
1: you can go to russellomics.com and get all the all all the links are there. But you can follow russellomics at russellomics on Twitter. Do I have to say X? Uh, X, I I
0: feel like everyone's still saying Twitter. (laughs) I haven't heard not one person say X.
1: (laughs) Yes, Uh, on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube. We were on YouTube as well, Uh, and there's a Patreon. So I post um, TV ratings uh, for every instance of a a W or A W or other. Uh, wrestling tv shows i I post a tv ratings report uh that is part of the patreon for five dollars a month patreon.com slash wrestlenomics um you also get the wrestlers radio podcast that we do every sunday uh, as well as other reports and other news updates
0: That's really, really cool. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you to everybody watching. And of course, I'm going to post all of the links in the description box below where you guys can find WrestleNomics and Brandon's work and all of that good stuff. Please let me know your feedback on this episode. And if you would like to see more episodes like this, please let me know in the
1: comments section below and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everyone.